only woman there. I, I was the only one targeted. And you, you try to do what your parents say is ignore it and hopefully it'll stop, but it didn't. And as a result, when you don't address that kind of workplace violence, it escalates. It never just stops. When we talk about bullying, many of us first think about bullying in schools, as it is the most common place for bullying to happen. However, bullying can take place literally everywhere. During her 20 years of career as a police officer, Sherry Lee Benson Podolchuk has been severely bullied and harassed by her male colleagues. But she found the courage to confront and challenge the bully and the entire management, which enabled this toxic environment. Today, Sherry is an author, motivational speaker, and consultant who provides guidance and expertise on bullying at work. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the I Bounce Back podcast. I'm your host, Indre, and as every second Wednesday, I have prepared for you another inspiring and uplifting story. This is episode 8, Stop Bullying Me Now. Thank you, Sherry, for being on the show. And I just want to ask you straight away. You have been working in the Canadian police for 20 years and you have been bullied all this time. Why did it last so long? Why did it take for you so long to say stop? Uh, that's an excellent question. I think it lasted so long is because, one, I was stuck it out that long and I didn't think I would would have survived for 20 years. But I think it's because the, the, the organization itself had systemic poor leadership and systemic bullying and a culture where that where bullying and harassment, sexual harassment was um, allowed to continue. And in fact, some in some places condoned. So that's why it, 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 uh, it is continuing today. However, things are changing a little bit, but slowly. So for, for my, for my 20 years, I, I didn't think I was going to stick it out that long, um, but it was pretty much from beginning to end. Well, I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you're working in the police, the work environment is very male-dominated. And then it's much harder as a woman to stand up against bullying or some comments. Uh, yes, uh, it is. Uh, the RCMP, which is our the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, our National Police Force, it is uh, mostly men. And uh, women didn't join until about 40 years ago. So we, uh, we make up a very small minority in the organization. And that means, uh, as a result, there's not a lot of female officers in one place. And so if, if you're dealing with a culture that uh, thinks sexual, sexual harassment and bullying is okay, and the target is the only female, it's a very, very isolating and lonely place. And that, uh, that, that, was the, that is the biggest problem. There's just not enough uh, uh, women to sort of saturate the police force and, and sort of balance the numbers. Because I think if there's more women, there's less likely an opportunity for men to bully and think it's okay to sexually harass because there's more than one and they can collectively stand it up for each other. So I understand that the situation hasn't changed much after you left the police. Well, for me, it was, uh, it, it didn't change at all. It was right to the very, right, pretty much to the very end. And uh, so there are very, and I've been retired for a few years now. 
there are more women speaking up, which is very important. Women need to speak up when, uh, uh, because collectively our voices are very powerful. But uh, they, it, uh, there are small changes, and, and anytime you're changing a culture that is as huge as the RCMP, it lets, it's our national police force, so it's across our entire country. And it's really hard to change the culture of the organization if there's individual pockets that still think it's okay to grab at a woman or to push her up against the wall and kiss her and think it's funny. So it's, it's small changes. It will take time. And we need now I'm encouraging more people to join because with newer ideas, with attitudes that will not accept that kind of behavior. And I'm talking about men and women. That's the only way it will change along with really strong leadership. Let's talk now about your personal story. How did this bullying start? Can you tell about the progression of this bullying? And when was the time when you realized that enough is enough? Well, that's a, how much time do we have? Um, basically, it started at my very first detachment. And, you know, as a new, when you join a job, there's always sort of a bit of hazing or, you know, teasing that you might have. And in our organization, we were prepared that there would be some teasing and hazing for junior members. However, we, I was told they didn't tell us what that would look like. And they also didn't tell us what to do if you were, you know, being bullied uh, or, or experienced sexual harassment. That was just completely an unknown. So when a couple of members uh, thought it was funny to refer to me as beaver and raisin tits in the office, on the radio, when I was in, in the general public, they... Uh, um, and in the office, uh, you know, I was horrified at those kind of derogatory names. And being the only woman there, I, I was the only one targeted. And you, you try to do what your parents say is ignore it and hopefully it'll stop. But it didn't. And when I asked for, for help from our detachment commander, our leader, he just laughed and said it was, you know, maybe I have, maybe I just like the attention. And the message there was, one, my voice doesn't count. And two, the message to the other members was it's okay to, to talk to Sherry that way, it's okay to behave that way, and she's on her own. And that's that's pretty much how it started. And as a result, when you don't that kind of workplace violence and it's still I consider that violence it escalates it never just stops it's sim very similar to domestic violence it escalates and it got to the point where um, I uh, my, my partner came to work uh, drunk and uh, he refused to ride home and crashed his car and then when he expected me to lie for him I refused and as a result the other officers didn't trust me when in fact I was following the law and then one day I came to work and I saw, I went to use the woman's bathroom and it was a wooden stall door, you know, those wooden stall doors. And I opened up the door and it literally fell off the wall, landed on my face and, and split my forehead, gave me a concussion and whiplash. And I, you know, fell to the floor with blood streaming down my face. And I, I called my, my partner who was at home having lunch and he took me to the hospital and I was off for a few days. When I returned to work, I went to get my gun belt out of my gun locker and I noticed it was open, which was my partner had said he had locked it. So that means someone had gone into it 
And that was a big no-no in our detachment. Those were our private gun lockers, to, totally to be secured all the time. When I opened it up, there was my, my gym bag. And inside my gym bag uh, that had my personal things that I needed uh, at work, um, there was a dead prairie chicken. And it was blood dripping all over my personal things. And that was a, that's when I realized this is, a, this is a serious thing. And my boss actually tried to convince me not to make a complaint. And my parents were very concerned because I was a single mom and I, I sent my daughter home to live with my, with my sister and her family because I was really concerned that if they're prepared to do that to me and these are fellow officers, what, what, what hope do I have of any kind of protection? And it, when you're bullied like that, if you really start to truly believe and think there's something wrong with me. I didn't realize this was an escalation in violence and it was in stages. It was in stages to that point. And then I, I was uh, out working one night as by myself. Uh, my partner was out of town and we got called to a domestic violence situation. And I, I recognized the name right away and I phoned, I, I radioed my partner. I said, it's such and such a place and he's a V Victor, which means violence. He's also a cop hater. And um, I said, you know, meet me at the house. And my partner said, uh, well, well, you know, I, you just go there and see, you know, I don't, I think everything will be fine. You, you go there yourself and, and, and um, check it out. And, and I realized, oh my God, he's not going to back me up. So I had to, uh, you know, set up a plan uh, in case something happened to me. And uh, so I, I radioed ahead and said, I'm, I'm stopping at this house. I could hear screaming. I mean, what would you do? And before I could even, you know, get out of the car, the woman comes racing out of the house. Obviously, she'd been beat up. And but right behind her is her, her, uh, is her violent partner. And you can imagine how terrified um, that situation was. I mean, most police officers are, are injured or shot or killed during domestic violence situations because people's uh, emotions are so high and unpredictable. I was very much aware of the seriousness of this situation. And Thankfully, the, the person who, the, the man came out and he, he knew that I was just uh, uh, a small woman and I didn't pose any kind of threat. I didn't come off like some macho man kind of, you know, I'm the boss and I'm a cop, you have to obey me. I spoke to him in a very calm, calm fashion. I had my arm, my hands up as an invisible wall and spoke in a very monotone voice about but remaining calm and you know I know you didn't mean to hurt your wife and I'm just going to take her to the hospital and we can talk later and everything will be fine I must have repeated that 10 times and my heart was pounding so much I thought my bulletproof vest was going to pop off my chest I was so frightened everything worked out thankfully thankfully later but I I told my boss he did not back me up and um and nothing was ever done about that. And that's when I realized I'm truly on my own and I had to, I had to leave. And so I filed, uh, I filed several grievances and then I, I filed a Canadian human rights complaint. And I was prepared at that point early on in my career to, to quit because I, I didn't want to, um, didn't want anything to happen to me. And thankfully somebody saw that there was a problem and they did move me. Yeah. yeah. You're, uh, story of bullying is horrifying because it's not only <laughs> words, it got physical. And to me, since I told you before the interview that I experienced emotional abuse at my work, and sometimes I felt like I wish my boss would hit me, you know, because then I could report. And it's so hard mm -hmm. to report emotional abuse. 
so you reported uh, your abuse when it got basically physical, when you had proofs. Yeah, I, uh, well, the, at the very beginning, I, when I was talking about the, the name calling, um, I, I did. I, I, I did what you do. You, you go follow the chain of command, speak to the individuals, and they just laughed. And then I spoke to my boss, and he just, you know, completely dismissed it as something serious. And you're absolutely right. Emotional abuse, that is, I think that's worse than a slap to the face because it, it leaves deep emotional wounds and, and we're scarred on the inside. We're bleeding on the inside and nobody sees that. You know, you know, they, they don't see that. The, the, the pain suffered from verbal abuse and personal harassment really can leave lifelong scars and damage us for, for our lifetime. And in, in many cases, it has. We've we've seen, we've heard. Maybe you've heard about people who've killed themselves because they're being bullied. And it, you know, that to get to that place of hopelessness is is really sad. And and so I, it's, I still see it in 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 the world in general, bullying, and, and how it just uh, those in those wounds from the the, the name calling. It, you can't see it. Nobody sees it, but you do. You feel it on the inside, and you are torn up. And damaged from the inside, and I think that is the is worse than a, a slap to the face. Did you have anyone who supported you against the bullies? Because I think in the majority of cases, people choose to be the bystanders, and they sort of enable this uh, environment. Absolutely, I know. I didn't have anybody stand up for me uh, that I would actually say, you know, shut the F up. Don't talk to me that way. I didn't have anybody. And I'll tell you if I, I, when I look back now and I do my, when I do leadership presentations and I talk about changing the workplace culture and identifying bullying and addressing it early, I talk about the bystander that when you remain silent, you are by saying nothing, you are allowing and condoning the behavior. And it only takes one person to ruin a workplace if nobody says anything and there's ineffectual leadership. And so during those years, I, within the organization, I didn't find anyone who was willing to stand up and say, hey, stop it. Nobody. I had people on the outside, uh, support from um, um, my daughter's father, who was a RCMP. He could give me some ideas, but he didn't work with me. So he couldn't really help me, but he could give me some support. And then eventually, I, uh, years later, I, years later, I found I met my my partner and my husband, who's my husband now, and he could give me some support from the outside. But from within within the organization, nobody was willing to stand up to challenge the organization or to challenge the individuals involved because they too were afraid of their own career being ruined. They too were afraid of, uh, of roadblocks that they might experience because they were helping me. And I was looked at as one of the other. And when you are considered the other, you're a target and nobody, nobody wanted to be part of the other. So they remain silent. And what's interesting is years later when I became very uh, public and my voice became more known locally and nationally, then people contacted me uh, to say that they knew what was happening, but they were too afraid. Did you question yourself why this was happening to you, why you were the chosen one? Oh, absolutely. And that's what a bully counts. They count on you starting to they count on you thinking there must be something wrong with me. And you do. And I did. I started thinking, oh, my God, maybe, 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 uh, you know, calling me beaver and raisin tits isn't that bad. 
Uh, maybe me, uh, you know, them grabbing my ass at a party isn't that bad. Maybe getting pushed up against the wall and kissed in front of everybody and they're laughing isn't that bad. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And that is the so damaging because it can start a spiral of very poor decisions on how to protect yourself at work and in relationships. You will, you end up, and I did, I ended up um, picking people who would also abuse me. And that was so damaging. How did you cope with the stress emotionally? Did you find anything that was helpful? Because 20 years, it's a, an extremely long time. It is, and it's, uh, it's, it's such a good question. I get to ask that a lot, especially after people have, uh, when they watch my TED Talk, they see, okay, that's what, what is, uh, you know, self-care look like? And I, I, I just called it up. It was just something little that I started uh, on Thursday nights, and it was just sort of something I started with my daughter. Uh, she liked to have tea parties, so we would have a tea party maybe, and uh, before work and or after, I would have a cup of tea by myself. And then... I started, then I would do my paint, we painted our nails and I would paint my, my, nobody could see because they were in my boots, right? Uh, I never wore makeup or perfume or nail polish because I was, I didn't want to look pretty. I didn't want people to uh, sexually harass me or bother me uh, or touch me because I was pretty. So I just tried to be as plain as possible. But painting my nails with, with my daughter was fun. She was just a little girl and we'd, she'd paint them and they, of course they, were all messed up, but she was, it was fun. It was something little. And, and then at night I would uh, come back after work at, you know, two or three in the morning and think, Oh God, it's the weekend or, and I would do that myself and, and just have, have a cup of tea with, uh, with on a nice pretty cup that my grandma gave me. So I didn't feel so alone. And it was those little things I did. And it's, and I will stress, it's the little things you do that can just make you feel a little bit better about yourself. You don't feel like such a, a loser. You don't feel like the other. You don't feel like a target. It's just enough to sort of build up that inner that inner strength that you have because we all have it. And and so I can go back and face another day. I could face another week, another month, and then into another year. And then, wow, I made it to five years. And now I made it to seven and then to 12 and then to 15 and then to 17 and then to 20. And of course, over the years, I added more things into what I refer to as my self-care toolkit or whatever you people want to use. I've added and, and got rid of some things, but I keep adding to it. And it's those things that you draw on when you're under extreme stress, when you're being bullied, when you're being, uh, if you've survived some sort of assault, any, it just in life in general, when you're under stress, how can I feel good? How can I make myself happy? Because one thing I learned over the years was no one's going to rescue me from my life. I tried to find somebody. The only Prince Charming was Princess Charming, and it was me. I had to find a way to, to make myself happy, to change any kind of behavior in me I wanted to change, and only I could make myself happy. And so it was uh, one step at a time, sometimes one week at a time, one set of night shifts at a time, just to get through to the next month. It was in very slow stages to 20 years.
write a review, and then you can share it with the world in any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and Castbox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day, which is on the eighth of every month of every year of every century of every you get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives, and you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. iBones Back is available on all major podcast platforms, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you like our episode, don't forget to subscribe and you can leave a review. Before the break, Sherry was telling about her struggle with bullying in her workplace. It lasted for 20 years. One day, she realized she couldn't go on like this any longer. When I think about it, it's like I'm there again. I'll never forget that day driving to work and I heard about um, somebody filing a lawsuit and, and they, they were successful and I, I, and I was happy about that. I was a non-civilian employee and I'm, I'm driving to work and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm so worn out. I, I pulled over the car and I just started to cry and cry and I, I was so angry and then I just in such pain and I thought if I go to work one more day I'm going to die and I, I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. So I, I did go to work and then I came home. I said I was sick and I came home and I struggled with my with, with the things that I did that to make me feel good and, and I, none of us is invincible. And that was important because I realized, I thought I was invincible. I thought, okay, I can just, you know, do these self-care things. I can, I can make it. But, you know, sometimes we need a little bit extra help. And I, I remember um, standing in front of the mirror and I had some sleeping pills because I wasn't sleeping. I had developed celiac disease, uh, which is an autoimmune disease uh, uh, where you can get under extreme stress, like no kidding. And I remember I took my pills and I just, I, I, I took a handful of these little blue pills. And I thought, you know, I looked in the mirror and I thought, I, I don't recognize you. I don't recognize, I don't see that pretty smile. You've got these dead shark-like vacant eyes. You have no, you don't want to be with people, but you don't want to be alone. I, I just remember thinking, I, I don't, I never thought of it as suicide, which it was. I thought, I just want to fall asleep and feel nothing. No pain, no stress. I just want to feel nothing. And uh, and then I, so I'm looking, I'm, I, I was a decision. It was. And then how many people don't have that sober second thought? And out of the corner of my eye, my bedroom mirror, there's this tiny little, you know, cute little picture of my daughter in grade one. And she had just cut off her head and 
she's got like little teeth missing and it was just a tiny one that she said I'm always going to be with you mommy and so I would look at that every day and now she's in university so but I, I saw that little picture and in that moment it was a, a sober second thought even a microsecond thought I can't do that to her and I just put the pills away. I couldn't. I was so terrified of my bedroom and those pills. I didn't go in there for three days or three nights. I slept on the couch. My husband at the time was working um, in another province, and my daughter was in university. I was so uh, not ashamed, but scared and terrified that I knew I needed extra help. And so I, I, um, I needed medication, but not that kind of medication. So I needed medication. I need to see that. I needed to see a doctor. Have a therapist. And those are the tools I added to my toolkit, along with a positive attitude, to slowly crawl out of that darkness of despair. And to be in that moment is a terrifying place. And not I know not everybody gets that sober second thought. And to, to, when I hear about people killing themselves because of bullying, and then the comments that other people say of how selfish it is. And no, it's not. It's a deep wound that people are experiencing, and they're not thinking about how killing themselves will have a devastating ripple effect for a lifetime of the survivors. So talking about it and sharing that hopefully will help other people realize what bullying does and help other people realize if they kill themselves, what they're going to miss out and know that they can just wait a few minutes and there is hope. There is positive help. It might take a while, but you're going to get there. Well, thank God you saw that picture. Uh, in a corner of your eyes and you are with us today uh, was that night the turning point for you when you really decided that that it was time to really make a change I'd say yes um, I thought I'm not gonna die I don't know how I'm gonna get through this but I'm not gonna die and I'm not I'm, I will not just survive I will switch that to thrive and so I've been I knew that it would take a while to get to the place where I felt a sense of uh, peace and contentment. And I, I knew out there in the tunnel, as dark as it was, there was a light. I just couldn't see it yet. And I had to keep going. And I knew once I started to see the light that, and as tiny as it was, um, it, when I got to the end, that I would make sure that I spoke up and I would never lose the power of my voice. And I would continue to speak up for my last breath. Uh, to help other people find their voice, whatever work they might be in. Because bullying, no, I, I, there is no geographic place that is free of bullying, no workplace that is free of bullying. Everybody, there is, a, it can happen anywhere. It can happen anywhere. That's my point. And so by speaking up and sharing, it's really important for people to realize that uh, it only takes one person to ruin a workplace when they don't, there isn't good, uh, effective leadership. And know that people, uh, to create their own happiness, so when they are experiencing bullying or sexual harassment, that they have some tools to, to, for themselves and they can create their own. And also know that it's part of uh, being courageous when you ask for other help, when you seek out professional help such as a um, therapy or a doctor um, for, for um, depression if you might need medication, that is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of strength. And for me, that is so important. So did you eventually leave your job as a police officer or did you decide to retire? 
Well, for me, I decided that I was getting, after getting, uh, um, you know, going to that deep depression, I realized that I can't continue like this. And I, I knew that there would be a point where um, I, could, I could sink there again, and I didn't want that. So I decided, okay, I'm close to 20 years. I had filed a uh, Canadian human rights complaint and a lawsuit uh, right around just after that. And I decided that, okay, I'm, I'm almost at 20. And then on, on the advice of my lawyers, um, they, they recommended that I just, you know, we resolve this. And then I decided that, yep, I, it's time. I made it to 20. Now I can heal from the outside and they have no power over me. I can heal from the outside and help heal and then also help other people as well as help the organization itself because when I spoke up at the very beginning it was to help the organization it was to help other RCMP officers who might be experiencing the same thing that I was and instead of being looked at as someone who could help I was looked at as a pariah as one of the other as a threat and someone to be crushed and destroyed and thankfully as the years have progress since I retired that I was actually hired back to do a presentation on leadership, workplace conflict, bullying, and mental health. And that was the most powerful moment of my life to realize that I had really healed enough to be able to work with someone, work with an organization that nearly killed me. That was a wonderful moment. And I, when I reflect on that, because it was only last year, I think I'm so glad I didn't die. Because I was able to get to a point where the very people, the organization that tried to drive me to suicide or ruin me financially, wanted my help. Yeah. So how many years have you been living without being bullied? Without being bullied? It's been, I retired in 2009. So it's just 10 years. It was 10 years. And, and I will say that it was interesting because I thought once I retired, wow, I'm free. But I didn't recover that fast. It took several years. I'd say probably five. Uh, the first year, I was still on edge all the time. When I saw the police car, I, when I got phone calls that had a private number, when uh, I would think the police car is following me, or a white, you know, I saw sirens, or I saw a white car, or I got something in a brown envelope, which was similar to their 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 envelopes that I used to get from from notifications from the RCMP. So there was all these triggers and I was so disappointed at first because I thought, okay, I'm retired. I should bounce back and be happy, happy and be my old self. But my old self never came back. And it was a grieving process of recognizing that she's gone. There's a new Sherry. There's a new reality. I can take these lessons and not the pain and redefine myself. And so that's what I did. And so it took a while to not have those triggers, you know, instantly make me feel panicky or if I was alone in the house. So it took a long time to get to the place where I could really feel almost at a sense of a sense of peace and security. And I think when people leave their workplace after being bullied, they have to give themselves some time and I and trust that they will get through that. It just takes some time. What would you say, how did this experience change you? Well, I, I was so 
blinded to how when so blinded to the fact that just because you're in a professional organization there can't be people who are not nice there can't be people who are bullying there can't be people who are willing to cross the law across the line of of ethical and moral decision making and and in some cases you know they're blurred and and also some people in professional organizations willing to commit criminal behavior to protect the the image of what they're working for and that 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 so that was more of a I grew up that way and also knowing that no one can, no one has the right to take away the power of my voice no matter who they are no matter what rank they are our vo- every voice is important and everyone has the right to speak up if they feel or believe they have not been treated fairly or justly or with respect everybody has the right to speak up whereas before i truly believed that people in positions of power were more important than me and now i know that's not true we are all equal and everyone has the right to speak up yeah that's right and now you are very open about the bullying that you experience in the institution that it has to be working to defend and protect people which is ironic <laughs> did you get any backlash when you started talking about it Yes, unfortunately, yes. I was considered a troublemaker. Uh, women didn't want to have anything to do with me, other female officers, which was really disappointing because if they, if collectively, if we would have spoken up, there would have been changes. It wasn't until 2011-2012 when uh, a very highly recognized our, uh, our RCP officer uh, spoke up. Did the, did the dams uh, really break? And there was uh, then, as a result, so many more women spoke up. And sometimes it's a lonely place being the only person speaking up, but keep doing it. You just never know when the right person will hear it and then more people will hear and more people will speak up. And as a result, there's been tremendous changes. There's been lots of lawsuits and class action lawsuits and things are changing. I mean, let's face it, we have our first female RCMP commissioner and she's made some changes that are totally different than than the historical workplace culture it just is going to take time for that to filter down into the entire organization and that's why it's good to have new people coming in to get that the, the new that new way of thinking that no we're not going to have a bullying workplace no we're not going to have uh, misogynistic behavior is not going to be accepted we're not going to have racist behavior in our organization and having people feel comfortable and protected when they speak up and that's how things are going to change and that's those are the small little changes i see and um, being the uh, optimist i'm i'm happy about that i'm happy that things are changing it's just really slow what would you say to people what kind of advice would you give to people who are struggling with bullying in their workplaces of course one of the first advice would be if you can leave but uh, not always people can leave as you couldn't. What words would you say to them? Well, seek out, first of all, uh, know that they're not alone. And uh, the bullying is that it's the other person's behavior. Don't take it on. Uh, If they can possibly create their own self-care tools, whatever that looks like, find happiness outside the organization. So if you can't, uh, if you can't get promoted, join a service club that uh, is uh, Boy Scouts or... 
we have uh, Rotary and Kinsmen and all sorts of service clubs that do such great work in the community. It's very satisfying. If you're in the workplace and there's bullying there, try to detach from the behavior so that if someone's saying something to you, you can either make the choice of responding or ignoring it. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, those are very hurtful words. I don't know if you realize those are hurtful words, but most often when people are being bullied, they don't feel like they have a voice, but they do. If you have a human resource department, seek out the human resource department. If all else fails and you have nothing inside the workplace, you still need or want to stay there like I did. I needed the money. I was a single mom. I divided the day up into hours and in some, in some cases into 15-minute sections. So for 15 minutes, I would do this job. And then 15 minutes later, I would do this job. I would take my, my coffee breaks and my lunch breaks and literally leave the building. And it was those little things I did that recharged uh, emotionally so that I could go back and face the people. Sometimes I encourage, uh, I, I learned to have a few catchphrases. So if people said something rude or uh, dismissive or condescending while I was in a group, because quite often that happens, I would just say, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way and walk away. And usually what happens is they're, they're want, when you change the way you respond, when you change the way you react, sometimes you can change the behavior. Not always, but either way you feel empowered. And here's another case. When I when I, I remember speaking to someone who was yelling and screaming at me for, you know, speaking up outside of the organization. And I said, I listened to him. I let him rant for his, until he took a breath. And I said, I don't know if you realize how hurtful those words are. But when you talk to me like that, you make me feel really, you make me feel really, um, you make me feel guilty for standing up for what the organization really truly believes in our mission and values. This is what you're saying. And he didn't know what to say because he, I challenged him on, he was saying terrible things to me for following what our organization, our mission and values were. And he realized he didn't even realize that he was a contradiction. He was a, he was contradicting everything that I was saying. I was speaking up. For other RCMP officers, I was speaking up for what was our mission and values within the organization. And he was getting mad at me for doing that. I'm very happy that you took back your voice and you speak now against bullying. Do you see it now as your mission? I would say yes. I have. I feel, I mean, you can't, I can't save people. They have to do that. But what I, what I do and try to do is plant a seed of hope. So I try to plant a seed of hope in people or um, by what I do so that they don't feel alone and that they can seek up resources that in their, wherever they may be to find sort of happiness and, and, and uh, not have that ripple into their family life because your family suffers, of course, right? It just doesn't stop at the parking lot. Your family suffers over time, just like you do. And uh, so I do, it's, it's my life mission. I, yeah, I'd say to my dying breath, I will continue to speak up for, for people who are being bullied and encourage people to definitely find their voice and, and know that they can create their own happiness. And I think, and a lot of women, I, 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 uh, I encourage a lot of women too, to know that, you know, you can be happy without a partner. You don't need someone to make you happy. They can be part of your happiness but they, they aren't what makes you happy. And because uh, quite often when you're being bullied, 
you you miss out on certain uh, red lights in, in, in what's happening in the workplace, like I did. And also you it can affect how you how you view yourself, which affects how you pick partners. And so it is my till my dying breath I will be doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so did I love that, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. So did you succeed to find happiness? I did. I did. Uh, the, by learning how to value who I am and realizing there was, because I was being bullied, there were certain patterns of behavior that I was continuing on in picking partners and thinking, because I was really lonely and, and sad because of what was happening at work, I picked people who didn't value me and, as, and you know, some were ver um, verbally and emotionally abusive. And Once I realized that, I could change. Once I realized, wait a minute, that's that's the that's the common pattern I keep repeating. With the help of a therapist, I was able to change those patterns. Because remember, I can't I can't change anyone. I can only change me. So by changing the pattern of behaving, I changed the pattern of attracting, and I learned to realize what type of behaviors uh, I wanted in a relationship what type of attributes I wanted, which were important, which were like, um, okay, nice to have. I mean, I'm not going to marry someone because they like fitness. I'm going to marry someone or be with someone who me uh, is, is honest and truth, uh, truthful and encouraging and kind and genuine and truthful and liking fitness is a bonus. So it's those, it's what's how we change. If we value who we are, then we can figure out what kind of, person we want, what kind of behaviors we will accept, what kind of behaviors we won't accept at home and specifically in our relationships. So in answer to your question, I am very happily married. He, it, he is part of my happiness, but he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not all my happiness. There's so many other things in my life that bring me joy. That was Sherry's story, a story of finding the strength to speak up against bullying and advocate for a change in organizations that enable this behavior. If you want to find more information about Sherry, visit iBounceBack.net. There you will find a blog post about her. You can also check out other blog posts that we publish every week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. That's it for today. The next episode will be ready on July 15th. I grew up in very, very difficult uh, circumstances. It was like a war zone. We just fought over everything. When I was growing up, I was not even aware that we were poor. But as I was becoming uh, a teenager, you know, like going to high school is when I started noticing that, you know, I have this friend of mine that comes from the best part of town. They have a fridge. We didn't even have a fridge, a fridge full of food and things. Just seeing all of that, I started being aware that I have to do something and I have to, I have to work harder. I'll see you in two weeks. Stay safe and never give up. Ciao.